Hey, this is Sebastian the Jet. You are listening to Soccer Subs. This is Jordan Stewart, and you're listening to Soccer Sub. Go listen. Hey, this is Rob Stone from Fox Sports. You are listening to the Soccer Subs Podcast. The Soccer Subs Podcast. It's game on. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Soccer Subs Podcast, episode 69. My name is Ronnie, and I'm joined here with my Soccer Subs co-host, Voss. And before we get started with the show, let me just give a quick shout-out to our two show sponsors, Paragon Sports, your premier destination for activewear. They're located on 18th and Broadway here in Manhattan. Go check them out for all your running needs, basketball, soccer, baseball equipment. Go give them a follow at Paragon Sports on Instagram. And our second show sponsor, Taqueria 86, an amazing soccer-themed Mexican restaurant. They're located down at 94th and Broadway here in Manhattan. Go check them out for some amazing tacos, burritos, drinks, and go give them a follow on Instagram, Taqueria86NY. And for the MLS fans, episode 69... We got a big show coming up for you guys today. We got a special guest joining us all the way from Orlando, Florida. He's a former professional footballer who's played goalkeeper for clubs such as the Austin Azteca, Orlando City, and the Jacksonville Armada. He is now a color commentator for the MLS side, Orlando City. It's a true pleasure to have him on with us. Let's please give a warm welcome to Mr. Miguel Gallardo. Bravo, Miguel. Bravo. (laughs) Welcome, Miguel. Thank you so much for taking the time. It really means a lot. First things first for myself and Voss is, you know, how are you? How's the uh, 2022 season treating you so far? And how's everything down in Orlando for you, man? Yeah, it's hot here in Orlando. First of all, thank you guys for inviting me. I appreciate you guys inviting me. And most of all, I appreciate you guys just, you know, doing what you do, the love for the game, the passion. That's what's going to help us grow both as a league and just the game, right? We want to continue to spread the love. So I appreciate you guys taking the time out of the kindness of your hearts to do this. And I'm happy to be here. You know, it's been 2022. It's been uh, it's been a good year. It's been a lot of fun calling Orlando City games. Uh, I've had experience calling Orlando City games for Orlando, Orlando City games since 2017, where they were not so good. And not to say that they're unbelievable right now, but uh, every game they have an opportunity to win. Where in the past, that dream or that hope that they were going to get a result oftentimes was decimated within 10 minutes in the match. And so that made difficulties for me calling the games because I work for the club. I have to maintain a certain level of positivity. And so it's very difficult to call games when the team is struggling. So these last couple of years when Oscar Pareja has been here, it's been a lot more fun. This is a competitive team that can beat anybody on any given Sunday. And also they could get beat by anybody on any given Sunday. And that's one of the beauties, I think, of this league is that, you know, we have a lot of thoughts and criticisms and certainly things can be a lot better in the evolution of the league but one of the things i like about the league is the parity right the similarities and the ability for every team to compete with one another you really can't say that any team is going to smash the other one and it's going to be a 70 30 percent possession like you can in the premier league don't get me wrong i love the premier league and i love those matches too where a team is just completely dominating or the whole team is past the halfway line sometimes even the goalkeeper because he's probably checking his twitter because he's not smelling the ball because the intensity is amazing, the quality is amazing, and you could do a line of seven if you want, they're still going to break you down. You don't see that in MLS, right? In MLS, is every team has a real opportunity every game to win a soccer match, and that's one of the things I like about it the most. Absolutely, Miguel. I mean, the MLS is becoming a super attractive league. And Miguel, before we talk a little bit of Orlando, I wanted to talk a little bit about you. 
for the fans that have seen you on TV who may not know you're a previous professional player. I wanted to ask you, how did you pick up the game? And then also, how was that career for you, you know, before you got into commentating? We saw that you you grew up in Texas and yeah. Mexican family and everything. So we'll love to learn a little bit more about you. Yeah, well, just like every other boring, you know, story, I grew up playing soccer in the streets, you know, and, and uh, I was born in Mexico. Santos Laguna is my team. Uh, that's where I grew up. And I would just, I mean, I mean, every day, there was every day. And I would go home, I would go to school, get home, eat up, do my homework, step out in the freaking heat, just waiting for one of my te- one of my buddies around the neighborhood to do the same. And then we start playing and it's 11 o'clock. And I, then I have my mom pulling my ears to go back inside because we got school the next day. And, and that's how it was. You know, it just, it was, it was often. I think, and I think that's one of the advantages that people from a different culture have. It doesn't necessarily make them a better player, but it is one of the advantages that the cultural lifestyle for people that grew up in Mexico, South America, Central America, Europe have over American players. That that that's not the case for them, right? That's not the case. They don't play every day in the streets, you know, against older guys, and and so you have it so that's how I started playing and then played a little bit for the Santo Laguna Academy back in the day when I was young and then my family moved to Texas out of necessity I was illegal for like four years five years I couldn't go back to visit my family then I got my green card when I was about 21 years old and uh, when I was 21 I got invited to go do a trial in Tigres in Mexico I got invited because they would always have their third division team, the academy team, come play tournaments in Texas. And I would always somehow end up in a team that was playing against those teams. And then they would invite me. And so it wasn't until I got my green card, I said, hey, you know, you remember me? They're like, nope, but you want to come down? We'll take a look. So I went down and I made the team that Tigres, uh, I make Tigres team my very first try and so I, I signed a contract with Tigres that's actually where I started playing and I, I was there for about a year year and a half didn't play much but it was a great experience for me and then I moved back to the U.S. when I was about 23 and started playing USL back in the day yeah I played in Texas for a few years and then I played with Orlando 2011 I played for five years there and then I played with Armada for two and a half years before my daughter was born and I decided to quit so it was about 10 11 years active it was a beautiful career, had amazing experiences, especially here in Orlando, because I think because of the geographic advantages or just Florida, I mean, just in general, we played some amazing friendlies with Orlando City when I played. I mean, I, we played against Roma. We played against Newcastle. We played against Bolton. We played against Stoke City. We played against Fluminense. We played against Sao Paulo. We played against just a ton of friendlies. I mean, of course, you know, all the all the MLS teams and we even played some teams from Mexico as well. It was incredible. I had such a fun experience. And then we were, you know, back in the USL day, we were a very good team. I mean, we won the national championship twice. I was like goalkeeper of the year, like twice. I mean, it was I mean, it was success to a level that it's hard to see nowadays on a team so dominant for so many years. And that was us for about four years. And so I had a lot of fun there. And yeah, it, it was great. It was I had a really good career. I'm very, very grateful that I was able to play for about 10, 10 years. And out of those 10 years, I started for nine of them. And I was very blessed with that, even though that comes with a lot of pressure and stress and anxiety, something that now as a coach myself, try to help my kids with, you know, the, the anxiety, the mental challenges that come with being a professional athlete, but also as a professional goalkeeper. 
Well, that's amazing, Miguel. And as a follow-up to that, I mean, we wanted to ask you, how did this role with Orlando come about? I mean, obviously you were a former player, transitioned to yeah. commentating. Is that something you knew you always wanted to do, get into the TV side of things? And I asked that because our last episode, we had Mike LaHood, who is the Austin FC yeah. commentator. And he kind of went through something similar. His, his career ended during the pandemic and he didn't know what was next for him. And it was all about networking for him and beautiful opportunities showed up. But curious how everything came about for you. Yeah. And how's everything been these past few years with, with Orlando? Sure, yeah. Mike's done a, ter- he's done a terrific job with Austin. Uh, I actually started to kind of hear his voice when he started doing little cameos, little things with uh, the extra time boys from MLS. Uh, and I always thought that, you know, he was a, uh, he was a gifter. He was a brilliant, you know, just individual. How I started this journey was was a bit different in the sense that I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't networking. I was just minding my business. I wasn't really, this is something that I never thought of. Just one day I was driving. It was right after my exit meeting with Jackson Ramada. There was a possibility of me going to Minnesota United with my former coach, Adrian Heath. You know, we were kind of having some conversations. It wasn't public that he was going to get the gig. So we were talking, but then I already knew that my wife was pregnant at the time. And it was sort of like I was entertaining something that deep down I knew it wasn't going to take because I have stepchildren. And I knew that I didn't want to move away and leave my wife here with a new baby, my stepchildren, with the just everyday chaos of life, you know, and I felt like I just, you know, and I have a conversation with my dad. I remember him saying, he's like, look, if you go play, continue to play out your dream or your career and you choose to kind of go back and forth it doesn't make you a good dad it doesn't make you a bad dad you know it just only time will tell and only you'll know how you feel it's like and also staying home retiring doesn't also make you a good dad only time will tell how you feel and your actions blah blah so I made a decision to quit and then I remember just one day randomly I got a call from my broadcasting director who was a that he was doing basically everything for Orlando City when I used to play, that the last year I played. And he reached out to me and said, hey, listen, I don't know what's going on with you, but I kind of see that you're here. You're kind of active on social media, which is weird. Like, are you, like, what's happening? And I was like, look, I haven't told anybody, but I'm going to call it quits. I, you know, I got a few options here and there. And then he said, hey, you always talk a lot of bullshit. Would you want to try being on the TV and trying this out? And I think I have an opportunity. So I went and had a meeting with him. He presented a project to me. I started as a sideline analyst, whatever that means. And I wasn't necessarily giving you reporting. I was actually, they were going down to me to kind of give you my thoughts about what, what was happening on the field. And I started like that within half a season, they sort of promoted me to studio analyst. And then by the third year, I was calling the games in the booth. And uh, so this is my fifth year now. And really that's how it happened, man. It was just him offering me opportunity. Obviously I love the game. I, I love to continue to learn the game. I love watching videos and understanding and I have my ideas in my head. I think I see the game in a certain way that is easy to explain. And so I kind of keep nurturing that and continuously learning about the game. I coach as well. So, yeah, it was that's kind of how it started. And it's been a lot of fun. I love it. I enjoy it a ton. I enjoy having to find a balance between talking to somebody who's new to the game and making them feel welcome to the game and also not sounding like an idiot to somebody who really knows the game. To make sure that there's some some attraction there. I may every now and then say something that might spark like, oh, well, that's good. Or that's good. And at least blend and understand that. Let the game be the protagonist, right? Kind of like what they say with referees. You know, it's like if we don't talk about the referee, that's a good thing. And so that's kind of like my balance with these guys that really know the game. 
is try to educate the new people, make them feel welcome, make them feel like they're watching something they understand and there's somebody kind of explaining some little nuances of the game while at the same time catering to the know-it-alls, so to speak. So it's, it's a fun balance. Yes, Miguel. Uh, I wanted to just backtrack a little bit because I used to follow a lot of that Orlando City side that you were on. And I remember you being a, a key figure in there and was just curious, how does the environment of the club in terms of professionalism, in terms of the amenities that are given to the players, how do they compare in the USL one, I believe it was at the time Yeah, yeah. compared to, yeah, cause it's crazy. Even the Austin Aztecs, you know, great, you know, shout out to them too. Great Academy, but sure. uh, yeah, just curious how those comparisons can are yeah. to the new Orlando city side in MLS. It's so much, there's, there's just so much uh, more resources, you know, from the place that you train at, with the, from the gear that you get, from the way that you travel, from, you know, just the resources that you have available, the type of people that are working with you. You know, like when I used to play, you know, we didn't have a massage therapist. We didn't have cryotherapy. Now we were traveling commercial. We had to do the line and security just like everybody else. You know, I mean, we weren't traveling charter. You know, there wasn't, we didn't have a video room. We didn't have, you know, a physio. We didn't have nutritionists. We, I mean, it's just, it's just night and day. And it's night and day. Now, all these things are, are incredibly important for athletes to perform at the top level. But if you don't have them, you don't really know what you're missing. Does that make sense? Unless you already had it and then you're like, whoa, I need my mental health coach. I need my, you know, my nutritionist. I need my personal physio when I am recovering. I need to travel charter. I need to stay in the absolute best hotels. When you don't have that, you don't know that that exists. Does that make sense? And so for me, I'll be honest with you. I love playing the game. It never was like, uh, oh my God, I really want to be a professional soccer player, which is kind of a consequence of my reps as a kid and my love for the game and my competitive edge. It just kind of things kind of just happened that way. So as a player, I always kind of was always like, holy shit, this is amazing. Like I'm getting paid to play. And I was never hungry for more like bigger contract. I was never hungry for, you know, anything that, you know, that wasn't just, I was just happy to be on the team. I was happy to be an important piece of the team, just like a lot of, you know, a lot of players, but I was happy to be playing. I was happy to be a captain. I was happy to, you know what I'm saying? And so I didn't think about those things, but now that I'm on this side, now that I see it, that I travel with the team from time to time, it's like, like this guy's got it good. So it is, it is, it is totally different. And obviously the game has evolved because that doesn't mean that USL championship sides now, don't have a lot of those things because the game has evolved. There's more resources pumped into the game. The second division and uh, second division in the U.S. is arguably one of the most successful second divisions in the whole world. So there is people who are passionate about the game. We're in one of the greatest countries in the world, most powerful countries in the world. There are people that are very powerful and they got, you know, they got tax dollars they got to spend. So there's a lot more resource nowadays, even in the second, third division to compare to, to a top, top flight. That's amazing stuff. And I'd be ashamed myself if I didn't ask you at least one good Dom Dwyer story from his time when he was down there, because I need to hear something, something good. I, I know he's quite a big personality. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'll tell you a story with Dom. So Dom came to us in 2013 when he wouldn't get a lot of action with Sporting KC. He was one of their players. He was a young player. So they loaned him out to us. 
and, and USL and, and we were having a terrific season. He was banging goals for fun. I mean, we played in a system that catered to the striker. I mean, the striker just had to make runs to the first, first post and we'll get you the ball. We had two fullbacks that were terrific. We always had fullbacks who were incredible and I think that they were ahead of their time because I think they would be very good back, good fullbacks today in Major League Soccer. Just feeding them quality. And so Tom really enjoyed that and that's what kind of spring boarded him to starting to get some minutes with Sporting KC. So in 2013, we had him on loan and we had a center back on loan. And then we had uh, another player, a midfielder on loan, Dukey Christian Duke. Jan Song, Song, I think was the name of the center back. He was the son of a Cameroonian legend. They were all Sporting KC players. And I think we had John Kemp and a goalkeeper, uh, goalkeeper as well. So we had those four players. Some of them, you know, like Dom and Jan, they played a ton. The other two, you know, they, they weren't playing as much, but it was U.S. Open Cup, and we drew Sporting KC to play in the round of 16. And Sporting KC said, you cannot use our own players against us. They were the reigning champs of the U.S. Open Cup. So we went to Sporting Good Park, I think it is. We went there without those guys who had kind of made, helped us a lot in the season. We played without them, and we smashed them 1-0. We uh, knocked them out of the Open Cup. Up until last year, we we had that year we had gone the farthest out of even MLS era, made all the way to the semifinal, I think round the uh, quarterfinals. And what's funny about Dom is that after the game, we all went out to party, and he was like, "I'm glad y'all beat them." You know, he was partying with us. We were drinking. I have a photo of like a tray of like ten shots of Gatorade, and we're all like partying and stuff. And he was like, he was so happy that we had beat them. Obviously, he was frustrated that they didn't let him play. But that's my Dom Dwyer story, man. He's a character. Uh, you know, a good player, good player. Obviously, he's had ups and downs throughout in, in MLS. But uh, it was it was a that was a funny story for sure. That's amazing. I feel like people sometimes forget that he got his start in USL. Like his initial springboard was under Adrian Heath. You know, all winning the USL championship. It was incredible story, Miguel. Thank you for that. Yep. Yeah, Miguel, and and you set it up perfectly for us because that's something we want to talk to you a little bit about now. Getting into a little bit of Orlando City currently, a big reason we wanted to talk to you is the U.S. Open Cup, Orlando versus Sacramento Republic coming up next month, September 7th. We got our calendar circled. One big question we wanted to ask you, Miguel, was should the fans be surprised that Orlando reached the final? I mean, I wanted to ask you, what's been your assessment of the season so far from what you think and just of all the work that you see Oscar Pareja doing, you know, behind the scenes, what you've been seeing out there? Well, that's a good question, man. That's a really good question. I'm not sure I have the correct answer. And obviously, that's a question that is it's opinion, right? There's no right or wrong answer. Should they be surprised? I don't think they should be surprised because that's one of the beauties of Major League Soccer, right? That you that anybody can beat anybody. I do think that they, they had a lot of close calls, right? And that soccer was on their side a few times during this process. You know, they beat Tampa Bay Rowdies two to one. They were, they did use a lot of, you know, players that were rotated. I think they beat uh, Philadelphia Union. After that, if I'm not mistaken, they beat them two one. Uh, Philadelphia, you know, had, a, you know, had heavy rotations. But Orlando also had heavy rotations too. Uh, them, and then uh, they beat Nashville. They went to penalty kicks. Nashville had a couple of close calls towards the end. They beat Inter Miami. That was a penalty kick. And then obviously they beat now the Red Bull. That game, Red Bull could have put it away within 10 minutes and they didn't. And Araujo and 
the absolute best night ever in his life. Scored a goal in the perfect time and then scored another one second in the, the second half. I think you, Orlando City scored a goal that if they tried it 100 more times, I'm not sure that they'd be able to replicate the quality on the touch, the quality on the, the service, the quality on the run, the quality on the finish. I mean, everything was perfect in that second goal. And I do think that Gerhard Struber, without trying to criticize something I don't know, I felt like he sent the guys forward too early and Orlando City is a very good team in transition. And so then they got punished. So should they be surprised? I don't think they should be surprised. Have they been convincingly, if you would have told me that's the team that's going to make it to the finals, I would tell you. Not that it's unlikely, but there are other teams that I would have said, oh, that's probably the one. That's what I would say. So again, you know, they did what they had to do, especially in the penalty kick shootouts. It's never easy. Orlando City is undefeated. It's eight and zero. Eight penalty shootouts won in Major League Soccer era. Aiden Nell, they've never lost a penalty kick shootout. And so that, you know, obviously that there's got a, there's a lot of credit to that. Guys with personality, being able to put it away. And so, yeah, that's what I would say. I don't think you should be surprised. I do think that there, that there was a lot of good soccer, inexplicable things that happened that got them to where they are. And that kind of leads into what I was about to ask next. I know that Orlando had an incredible game. Uh, not to knock them, you know, I know they started a little slow against the Red Bulls and being a Red Bulls fan, a whole lot of the, the people who have been tuning in and are commenting on the game have to point out some of Struber's tactical mismanagement. And I'm just curious from your perspective, from someone who's not a Red Bulls fan, because I don't want to yeah. sound too biased, you know, yeah. but I feel like Struber got it all wrong. I feel like he took out possibly his best player in Klamala right after we got scored on. He decided to to keep on Christian Casitas Jr. And where do you think it possibly changed? Because I saw that the game turned on its head after the first hydration break. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure I heard Oscar Pareja at halftime after that 1-1 didn't even have to say anything to his team. He pretty much just looked at them and said, do what you got to do. You know what to do. And the floodgates just opened. So I think it was a Pareja masterclass and a Struber. I think I don't those, even know what the word is. <laughs> I think those two teams, those two things combined. But I would tell you the biggest mistake, in my opinion, Struber made was going to a line of four instead of a line of three in the back. Because Orlando City, historically this season, has struggled versus teams with a line of three. And they just can't figure out how to play against those teams can't figure out how to break them down, especially teams that are well-organized. And when Orlando City played here, when Red Bull played here and they played with that formation, you remember what happened, 3-0, uh, and it could have been more. That, for me, was the biggest, was the biggest, you know, I don't know if mistake, but the biggest factor why the game set up the way it did. Although I would say that it's a game of big moments, and those big moments was them hitting the crossbar, them hitting the post, Pedro Galese making a really good save in a key moment. And then, you know, Araujo on a set piece, the dude has never scored in his freaking life a professional goal. It's like sets right there in a platter for him, right at the, at the death of the first half. It changes things. The energy changes. One team goes into the locker room inflated. The other one goes deflated. And then right at the beginning of the second half, as I said, Struber tried to get the goal back too early, meaning he left himself exposed a bit. 
And then in that transition moment, it was the most beautiful, most perfect goal around City has scored, I think, this year collectively. And then he just lost his shit. He just lost, you know, he just lost his shit and then completely lost his structure. You could tell the inexperience of a lot of the players that they lost their shape. It became a game of transition. And I think that's where the struggle was. But as I said, I think even with the formation change, it was, it was a game of moments. I mean, it's a game of inches, right? A few inches a little bit lower, that's an unbelievable bicycle kick goal. A little few inches a little bit to the left, that's a goal, right? Pedro Elisena sliding over for a few inches, that's a goal. And it's just, that's what I'm saying. All the soccer elements, the nuances, the unpredictable things, the beautiful thing about the game, all went on Orlando City's favor that day. No, that's amazing, Miguel. And, and I'm glad you mentioned Pedro Galeza because that's something I really wanted to ask you next. Just in regards to this season and for the upcoming U.S. Open Cup final, what have been some players that have stood out to you this season, kind of like the difference makers? Of course, Pedro Galeza at goal, the addition of Torres as well, who's been amazing and killing it. Pato back in the lineup. It's good to see him playing after last year, you know, him kind of taking a season off. And yeah. then Benji, Benji Mikel as well. Like, I wanted to ask you, who are your difference makers? Who are the ones to keep an eye out for for these upcoming games? Yeah, I mean, the one I would say is had the best night that the game, and it's not just that night for the entire season. Cesar Araujo, the defensive midfielder, uh, he's been terrific. The dude is, I think he's like 20 or, I mean, he's very, very young and he's playing well above his age. You know, his decision making is, is some, it's experience and he's been a professional for two or three years. They got him from Wanderers and Montevideo. Uh, the dude was one of the most successful passers on the ball. I think number one in progressive passes uh, his last year there. And even though we haven't seen a ton of that here, his passing is a little bit more careful, which is good. That's what you want in that position, especially when he plays as a, as a lone number six, which Orlando City had not been able to do that in the past because they didn't have a guy that could cover the ground the way that Cesar covers the ground, you know, and, and to, you know, cover for center backs or full backs when they get out of position. So he's been brilliant. I really, I really enjoyed it. And obviously had a dream night that day versus the Red Bull. Facundo Torres, like you say, you know, he started kind of slow, but it's another dude that's young coming from Peñarol. He, I spoke to him earlier in the season. And he's like, the game is just faster and the guys are stronger. You know, the fullbacks are strong and uh, Uruguay is more tactical. It's more like chess matches and there's not as physical. They just don't have those type of players all the time, everywhere. They have something, I mean, like a racharrua, right? I mean, they strong dudes, but it's not everywhere, not all the time. And now, so he's been kind of adapting to the speed of the game, playing a little bit, a, a little bit freer. I feel like because he was young, he was trying to play to please everybody, to run and defend. And then you can't really do that because when you get the ball, you know, it's like you're gassed. And you're not doing what you got paid to do. I think he's he's been terrific, honestly. He's been brilliant. And then, uh, yeah, and then the other guy, Pereira, Mauricio Pereira, number 10. I mean, he's uh, one of the top assist, assist leaders and right now. He scored a goal that day. That second goal that I'm talking about, he scored that goal. You know, he, he's just a, a really good soccer player. He's high IQ. He's that final pass. Good leader as well. He's the captain of the team. I call him the thermometer because... If the dude is having a bad game, the whole team is having a bad game. If the dude's having a good game, the whole team is doing a good game. So it's he he is a lot of what Orlando City does. And teams know that. Teams know that. Because when Orlando City plays, you know, plays, teams like they get tied to him. They don't want to let him turn. They don't want to let him have the ball. And that is a lot of Orlando City's identity is that guy alone. 
No, that's awesome, Miguel. And I'm glad you mentioned that. And we look at the MLS, like you mentioned earlier, Miguel, it's so competitive. Any team could be any team on a given night. And given that, Miguel, I wanted to ask you as well. I mean, I know you mainly cover Orlando, but, you know, what are your teams that you're kind of keeping an eye out for, for on the East and kind of keeping an eye out for on the West? I know in the West, everyone's talking about LAFC. Austin's up there as well. Yeah. LA Galaxy's a little, you know, in between, kind of falling and coming back up. And yeah, in the cool. East, we got NYCFC. The Red Bull's still hanging up there, in the, you know, in the top couple spots. Orlando, I know, is currently fifth and sixth. Just yeah. kind of who are your teams to watch in the East and West, if, if we could ask you? Uh, honestly, uh, in the West, uh, Austin, you know, I have, uh, I have ties in Austin. So I followed Austin. You know, I remember they were taking a lot of criticism because, you know, the guys from MLS, MLSsoccer.com, they drive a lot of the conversation. And sometimes they say some things that at times are irresponsible. I think it's fun. It's funny. You know what I mean? And, but the following of Major League Soccer a lot of it, the demographic is guys like them. You know, the guys that are like huge soccer fans. They've been following the league for a long time. And so it's almost like they create these narratives because they drive the conversation. They become a thing. But I remember when they were talking about Austin FC, oh, they're only beating bad teams. And I'm like, well, look at other teams that are beating teams. You could say, yeah, that's a bad team. But to bank five on one team and then five bank five on another one and then bank three on another one, that's not easy to do. You don't, that's not an accident. You know, that doesn't actually don't happen that like that, and certainly not that often. And so they've they've earned their stripes. They've proven that that they're a very good team. They got some really good players. They handled the draft well with that kid Pereira, I think his name is, a midfielder that that freed up Alex Ring to play a little bit higher, like he was with the with the NYCFC. They hit on Driusi. It was a bust with Cecilio Dominguez, uh, who's now going to Santo Laguna, I believe. You know, they didn't get that one right. And, you know, in Major League Soccer, if you don't get your designated players right, it's a struggle. But they were able to fix it. They got the Gita guy wrong as well. But I don't think they expected the contributions of Fagundes, who I feel like he's been in the league for 50 years and, and the dude's still like 25 or 27. I mean, it's ridiculous. He looks like he looks like a freaking teenager. I saw him when I went over there to watch a match. Uh, like I saw him outside at a restaurant. And I was like, dude, you look like he, he looked like 15. Uh, it's unbelievable. So he's he's doing uh, doing really well. And then there are other guys. I mean, the center back, Stuver, their goalkeeper. I'm very pleased for him that he finally got an opportunity. I played against him multiple times. And I played against him in friendly what he was his Columbus. But the first time I played against him was when he was on loan with the Wilmington Hammerheads. And we were, I was with, all, with, with, with Orlando. And uh, I thought to myself, man, that dude is solid. I play in USL, listen, some guys make unbelievable saves, but he was as sound, as clean as I'd ever seen. And I thought to myself, why isn't this dude playing? And I never understood why. And now look at look at what's happening. I mean, he's, he's doing really well. He's good with his feet, good shot stopper, very nice dude as well. I look at social media, he's involved in, in good initiatives. That always, you know, sits well. You know, and a young coach and, and, and Wolf, right? Who the dude looks serious. He looks like an accountant with his outfits, but you know he's serious. And uh, and so I'm really happy. And the atmosphere is is incredible at Q2 Stadium. I mean, it's it's, it's crazy. I always known that that was a soccer city, and people are like, oh, but Dallas and Houston. You know, I was like, nah, Austin is a different is a different monster. And I used to say, they used to ask me at the time, because I used to play the, the Aztecs. They're like, oh, Miguel, what do we got to do to bring all this like Hispanic people to the stadium? And it's like, you want me to tell you what? 
You don't need to do marketing. Just get first division soccer here because we as Hispanics think, think we know everything about soccer. And if you are not playing first division soccer, we think that we're better than you if you're in second division because we'll be like, ah, we can't even try the ball, this and that. I said, so we are fanatics and we're not going to go watch second division soccer. Are you crazy? That's the mentality. That's our mentality. Because we all look, we all play soccer. We all play soccer with our cousins and our friends and our gordito neighbors. And, you know, we make a guy and suddenly we think we're better than, than a guy that's playing on the TV. You get what I'm saying? And so I thought to myself, the moment they get first division soccer here and they get some players that they people can respect, then that's when the people are going to come. They're going to come. So you don't have to do marketing because they will come. And first division is, is everything. And so it's rocking. Obviously, Austin as a market is booming. It's a hot market. You can't buy anything there right now because it's so expensive. That obviously, that means that it's a hot market. People are moving there. There's a young population. It's a diverse population. And so I really like what's going on over there in Austin. It's terrific. And, uh, you know, from the East, I mean, it's just really two teams, right? It's uh, Philly and NYCFC who... You know, obviously, Jim Curtin, I think, is obviously a really good coach. They were very patient with him because it was a disaster the first few years. But uh, what they've been able to accomplish in terms of young players developing, selling, getting quality minutes from them, quality contributions. And then Alejandro Bedoya, also a really good dude, it seems like, doing work over there. He is the diamond of that team. You know, I, I say, I mean, it's, it's 4-4-2 diamond. It's, I say 4-4-2 Bedoya. That's what I call it, because he understands it so well. And then obviously the addition of El Brujo Martinez last year, replacing Medunjanin, who is a different profile player. Medunjanin is one of my favorite players in the league. He's so good on the ball, so clean, so classy. But he's different than El Brujo. El Brujo is like a pit bull, you know, like you can't get close to that guy. So uh, I, obviously they're a really good team and, and a really tough team to reach. And NYCFC isn't crazy. I, I always think it's so funny because NYCFC always has a good coach. The only team that has changed his club coaches when the team is doing really good, except for the very first year for J- Jason Christ, which he, we inherited. And disaster in NYCFC is, oh, it's okay. It'll be okay here. Disaster over here too. But from there, Dominic Torrent, Vieira, Daila, everybody's been good over there. And then they change him. And the team continues to stay good. I mean, I don't get it. I just hate the fact that obviously they play in a freaking baseball field. It's just such a bad representation of the league. You know what I'm saying? Because if you're like a first-time team, like watching the game for the first time, you don't know, you're trying to get into a league. Oh, watch, watch a game. And you're watching that crap. You're like, what the heck is this? What kind of amateur crap is this? But they're always they're always a solid team. We got two solid center backs. And, you know, for me, and Tenet home, what a great player. And then, uh, of course, Tati Castellanos, who I didn't think he was that good when he first got here. I think he went on a dry but didn't score goals. I remember I had used to have to talk about him. I used to say, he's a pest. He just wants to pressure you and the dark arts, Colmillo, and, but doesn't score anything. But good things happen around him. And then now these last two years, he's been lighting the league on fire. So, yeah, I mean, I would say those are the teams, you know, those are the teams. And uh, disappointed in Chicago, disappointed in, uh, in Columbus, disappointed in Atlanta. $77 million, I think, is their roster worth. You know which team is higher than that in North America? None. Not Tigres, not Monterrey, none. Atlanta United with all the bad signings that they've had. Terrible. It's terrible how after 
Miguel Almirón, they thought, oh, yeah, look, this is easy. So we got this guy, got incredible contributions, won the cup. We sold them. We're masters. We can do this every single time. Dude, they hit the lotto. Now they're trying to replicate that, and it hasn't worked. It's just crazy the amount of money that they spent that we know of. Oh, Miguel, great picks. What is going down in Austin is definitely something special. El Verde is doing some great stuff, even with FC Dallas and Houston Dynamo, like, creeping up behind him. And on the Eastern side, of course, I think one of the ones we forgot to mention has to be this New England Revolution side that yeah. set a points record Ooh. last year. You know, like, yeah. talk about fall from grace, man. <laughs> That's oh, some, man. some crazy stuff. But what I really was wanting to ask you now, I don't want to take up too much of your time, is the million-dollar question. Who's taking the U.S. Open Cup? Because I know Sacramento is no pushover. They are the first USL team or the first second division side, I should say, since 2008 to make the U.S. Open Cup final. The last time a second division side won it was in 1999 with the Rochester Rhinos. So I believe that the raging Rhinos. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And they had Pat Onstad in that. That was an incredible side of its own. But back to the Sacramento Republic team, I think they're going to be up for that challenge i think they've done the impossible what seems like making this final and i think the coach is going to motivate his side that much more to try to make history so with that in mind you think orlando and oscar pareja have anything to worry about because it seems to be in the bag for you guys but as a red bulls fan who had never seen uh, struber lose against orlando and to be so sure that we would go through we end yeah. up laying an egg. So it's always a worry to be too overconfident. Yeah, what I would say is, uh, first of all, you, you always got to respect your opponent. Uh, no matter what, you got to respect your opponent. You got to be calm that you, you are the better team, pound for pound. But you got to respect your opponent and you got to respect their journey. And uh, their journey has been incredible. Uh, you know, I think that they were under a lot of pressure versus Sporting KC, who are one of the worst teams in the league. It's another conversation. And uh, obviously penalty kicks is anybody's game. And the way the guy, I, forget, I don't know his name, he took the fourth penalty with the Panenka. Listen, phenomenal. It was incredible. Cojones de metal. But if I'm his coach, I am so angry at him. I'm fuming at him because he put the team in a situation where everything was at stake and he does that stupid thing. I, as a fan, loved it. I thought it was incredible. It went viral. I mean, respect. But as a coach, I'm like, oh, my. But anyway, that's beside the point. I think that, obviously, Sacramento has a chance. They have a chance. They have a lot of experienced players. They have MLS experience there. They have, I think, is it Coque or something like that? It's a guy that played in Spain uh, in different teams in the first and second division. They had Rodrigo Lopez, who's a personal friend of mine, a former Orlando City player, by the way. A lot of people don't know that because his time here was was short. But Rodrigo Lopez is, I mean, the dude breeds passion, right, and intensity. And, and the dude is, is, is quality. He's very good in the ball. One of the most technical players I've, I ever had the pleasure to be around, uh, you know, who's played, obviously, Chivas USA. But more importantly, he played in Mexico. He played for Toluca. He, was a, he had minutes in Toluca. So there's experience there. And there are guys that they want to win. But if you are... If I'm their coach and if I'm their dad, I'd probably say, guys, you ain't got nothing to lose. Go out there and enjoy yourself. 
And that's probably not something that deep down you're like, oh yeah, well that's true. We don't we have to have a lot to lose because that's a great opportunity. They work really hard to get here. But from the outside looking in, you're thinking, I mean, great job, guys. You've done anything else is honey. That's not how they think. But you try to probably calm them down. You know what I mean? You probably think you probably try to calm them down. They don't need any extra motivation because these are players that a lot of them are young and they want to play at the first at the top level. And they're probably thinking if they, you know, they win. And even if they don't win, they're already being scouted. And, and it's difficult. And that there's an element of pressure for Orlando City, right? Because if you're a player, you're facing this game, you're like, can't lose to a USL2 championship team. You can't lose to a second division team. And that could play a part. That could play a role. You know what I'm saying? Like, that could play a role. Like, the psychology of, oof, you know, it's, it's nervy moments. And so it's going to be interesting to see how both teams handle the match. I think the longer the game goes without Orlando City scoring a goal, there's more tension, there's more pressure. People start to get frustrated. People start to cheat. You know, if, if Sacramento is, is coming here to, hey, let's stay organized, let's let's stay well compact, and then let's just let's just keep the score, you know, nil-nil. It's not concede, you know, for as long as we can, and then we'll pick in time, we'll pick and choose our times, and you know, anything could happen. But I do think that Orlando City is is favorite. I do think Orlando City is favorite, obviously not because of the division, but also because of the way they play. You know, I watch some of the game. So, uh, listen, it's anybody's game. And I, it's there for Orlando City. It will be a big loss. It will be uh, un fracaso, I would say, if they don't win. For Sacramento, it won't, it won't be un fracaso. It will be, you know, they give it a good go. Maybe for the players individually, it will be. But for the outside, for the world, it's not. But for Orlando, there's an element of, of, of pressure. It's like... It's too perfect. It's right there, guys. It's right there. At home versus a USL2 team, USL championship team, right? After beating Red Bull 5-1, it's right there. Go take it. But there's a lot that has to happen between now and then, right? Yeah, absolutely, Miguel. And thank you so much for all, all your insight. We got September 7th circled on our calendar. It's going to be a game to watch the U.S. Open Cup final, Orlando City versus Sacramento Republic. And I, I do want to mention real quick, too, Orlando City does have a couple tough games coming up. I know they have the Red Bulls in Red Bull Arena. Uh, yeah. You guys face off against my New York City football club. And you guys got the Seattle Sounders as well, which I know you haven't played in quite some time. So some tough yeah. games before getting to that U.S. Open Cup, which could be kind of a good thing, kind of a couple of good tests, kind of getting the guys in shape for, the, for that yeah. big, big game. No doubt, no doubt. And obviously, you know, the, the priority is the U.S. Open Cup. I mean, they, they want to win. Probably. There will be some rotations, I would have to imagine, as you get closer to it. But they also want to be stay in the playoff picture. They want to be top four so we can host the game. So, I mean, it, it's that's one of the difficulties, I think, as a manager, is to, without incredible depth and investment, how do you play two different tournaments that you play Wednesday, Saturday. I mean, they played, I forgot the name, the amount of games, like 16 games. And just, I, I can't even say it, but just in the month of July, it was like eight games or something like that, which is, which is ridiculous. Now, man, just some Europeans are going to say, like, that's not that we play twice a week over here, but it's not the same thing traveling across the country, having to play on a Wednesday and then having to travel back and then play on a Saturday and then do it again. It's, just, it's a different beast. That's for yeah. sure. 
Absolutely, Miguel. And hey, we want to say thank you so much for coming on with us. We had such a great time talking with you on Orlando. We're keeping an eye on, on Orlando as well from our end. And we hope to have you back down the road with us again. It, it'd be a huge pleasure to bring you back on maybe after the season and, and keep talking the game we love, man. Thank you so much, Miguel. Thank you so much, Miguel. It was a pleasure meeting you guys. Congrats on what you're doing. And let's, let's keep on going on. All right, guys. That was the interview with Miguel Gallardo, TV commentator, color analyst for Orlando City. Miguel, thank you so much for coming on with us. It was a true pleasure. So glad we got to speak to you and talk a little bit about your career, U.S. Open Cup. It was awesome speaking to you, Miguel. Can't wait to have you back down the road. And for the soccer fans, we hope you all enjoyed it. We'll be back next week for episode 70, the big 7-0. Go give us a follow at Soccer Says Podcast on Instagram. And we'll be back next week. Everyone take care. Have a good one. Thank you.